I'm sitting with South Africa's favorite celebrity banker, Michael Yordan. Well, Toby, you are my famous sit-down comedian. Well, thank you. At least, at least we're sitting for this interview. And it's been, <laughs> it's been an interesting time since you left F&B, which you took to great heights as an innovative bank. And you now invest in a whole bunch of, of different startups from banks to uh, cellular networks. And, and you've had a spectacular run recently with all of them, haven't you? Well, Toby, I've been lucky, as I have been in life. But one of the things I learned at FNB and at First Round is um, life's all about people. It's the people that you surround yourself with. And if you have the courage to surround yourself with people who are better than you, amazing things can happen. So that's been in FNB. It's been my strategy all along. <laughs> but it re life really is that simple, both for personal relationships and for business. So what I've done in the startup world is similar to what I did in the corporate world, which is find good people or good teams, try and back them so that they can execute on their vision. And, and, and you have. Rain has launched with 5G and it's got a, a fantastic offer, I think, a thousand rand a month for uncapped 5G. I mean, it is limited to, to Johannesburg and Chwane at the moment, but that is really great value for money. You know, the interesting thing is when fiber started taking hold in the suburbs, the installers of fiber probably thought they had a monopoly. The first one to dig up your pavement was probably yes. the last one. And they never reckoned with 5G coming to the market as a competitive technology. It now seems fiber can stand up uh, to 5G or 5G up to fiber, that it has the same type of download and upload speeds, same type of latency, but it's cheaper to install, quicker to install, and over time the cost will become even more competitive. Indeed, and, and it's, a, it's a brilliant economic model because what it means is, is no more digging up, but instant access. And the barrier to entry for other players who are you know, pretty big in their own right, cellular operators, is, is much lower. Yeah, so there's absolutely a role for fiber in the market, but we think that's probably backhaul. So wherever you have a base station, and there will also be much smaller stations, small cells, they will have to have fiber backhaul. But for that last mile and for the mobility, 5G is just the better option. It is indeed, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see what people do with faster download speeds, isn't it? Look, everybody uses these words, the fourth industrial revolution. I think most people don't fully comprehend that, what that even means. But with fiber and with 5G, we're building the foundation for completely new businesses. Yes. Whether it's smart cities or Internet of Things or, I don't know, a doctor in India doing an operation that is actually on a patient in Johannesburg. All these things will suddenly become possible and I'm very excited by the future but it is important for South Africa to really put all that infrastructure in place. Internet access has become a basic human right. If you don't have access to the internet you're going to be relegated to be a third world citizen forever and that's maybe the major thing that we have to change in South Africa is give access to every single person, every school child, every household and every business. I, look, I have to agree. I, I do think internet access is as fundamental a human right these days as access to clean water and, and sewerage and education and free speech because it, it's the technology enabler for all of these things and access to even more. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, often these things are not built on those noble things in the first place. So, for example, the first use case for 5G for us is simply streaming. So people yes. are buying a router for their house and they can stream super fast. In fact, in my household, you know, there are five of us, each of us can watch a different movie yeah. in very high definition or 4K without impacting on each other. But in doing so, we're building that infrastructure that can then be leveraged into, let's say, education or business applications. 
I agree. I mean, the education one, of course, is the most fascinating for me. And I know you have a you have a stake in a in a coding program, yes. because it, it's education can 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 truly open any kind of doors. I call it rain for the brain. <laughs> I like the way what you call it. Now, education is probably the one thing where you can be the most critical of South Africa, where since we've become a democracy, we haven't fixed education appropriately. And you can look at the million kids that enter the schooling system every year, and then just the two or three hundred thousand that matriculate at yeah. the end of a 12 year period. That already is terrible. Heartbreaking. And then a small percentage of them only go on and get tertiary qualifications. That is the core of all the inequality that we still have in our country. Now, these things can be fixed with technology. You no longer need every teacher to be a subject expert in this yes. subject. The main role of teachers is actually to stimulate curiosity. And then you can access, whether it's Khan Academy or anything you can find on the internet, you can find the best minds to teach whatever it is, algebra or quantum physics, and you can just stream it um, to kids. So all of these things are available, and maybe more importantly, it's available for free. Yeah. So the, the means to solve our education crisis is already there. You know the famous quote about the, the future is already here, it's only unevenly distributed. Yes. It's so frustrating that you can see the future of education is already available for free. There's yeah. no need to distribute it in our educational institutions. Uh, look, uh, it, it, anything that can help will be of, of great benefit in this regard. But it's, it's not the only success story in terms of your investments. Uh, you've had some, some very interesting investments in a couple of other places. Yeah, well, the one that's very close to my heart is the coding program that we have, Codex. Um, we take uh, mostly people from disadvantaged areas. We screen them through boot camp to see that they have innate, complex problem-solving capabilities. And then after a year or two, they become full, qualified Java developers, junior developers, but they get a white-collar job. So you change somebody's destiny completely. Yeah. Um, so, so that, for example, is interesting. Another educational... I just want to stop at that because what you're saying is quite profound. You do change someone's destiny. Yeah. Suddenly, from a, from a career track that would be you know, blue-collar manual work, you're, you're working in a, in a much more sophisticated, yeah. cerebral... Yeah environment that is of much greater contribution to the to the economy and that terrible fourth industrial revolution that we're all so afraid of that's an on-road into that isn't it you know toby it's even worse than that some of these kids wouldn't even get a blue collar job we know what the unemployment rates yeah. are in south africa yeah. they they could actually just you know carry on in an informal settlement and actually never become productive and all the frustration that comes with that so to take somebody like that that they get a white collar job after two years, that they can look after their entire family. That really is, for me, quite profound. And the problem that we try to solve there is that business will tell you they have a critical skill shortage when it comes to coding. And then South Africa sits with this massive unemployment problem. And we wanted to see if building a bridge is possible, and Codex has proven that it is. And that's why we were also grateful quite recently when Google gave it a funding donation of 7.4 million so that we can also train female developers. We really think we found one of the solutions to South Africa's unemployment and skill shortage problem. Indeed, celebrity banker and bridge builder. <laughs> well, this one I have to say as a business um, is the one that kind of makes me feel the best. Yeah. Even though it's never produced a profit, um, it's great about the impact that one can create. And this is the thing about South Africa, there are so many problems and you yeah. can moan about those problems and probably validly so. You know, you can point fingers and say other people should be doing other things better. 
But it's just so much more um, fulfilling when you can go out there and start something and solve a problem and it gets solved. Uh, that gives me a real kick. Um, and I say, of all the startups that I'm involved in, they all solve one or other problem. And it's a bit like solving a puzzle. You really get joy out of that. Indeed you do. And I, and I can see, I mean, you, you, you know, your, your joy is a whole bunch of other people's joy and a change in their destiny. So, so well done. Thank God you left banking. <laughs> Thank you, Toby. But so, I'm, I'm back in banking yeah, as well. Speaking of which, I mean, Bank Zero is, is pretty much ready for launch next year. Yeah, so it's a countdown. We've announced the countdown. There's a whole lot of testing and stress testing and disaster recovery and so on that we still want to do. And then we'll go out and have a beta with customers. Um, it's a small team. I think people are always surprised when I tell them that the total team size is less than 20. But highly competent, highly dedicated people who really know banking inside out and know tech inside out. So we were able to envisage a bank from first principles. Um, there's going to be a whole lot of functionality that currently doesn't exist because existing banking systems doesn't allow for it. But we also want to democratize banking in the sense that we think all electronic banking should be free. If Google yeah. searches can be free and Facebook can be free and Twitter can be free, um, we don't think people should pay for electronic banking transactions. I think that is said to bring significant benefits to South African consumers, but maybe more importantly to South African businesses. Yes. Business banking fees are quite high. So but you don't have to times. tell me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, as a, as a business owner, yeah. I would, I would love to see things that are cheaper, more helpful, more convenient. And uh, if we can say, I, do, I do still bank with FNB, by the way, both personally <laughs> and look, my I, business. I love FNB, and I, you know, part of my soul is still there. So this will, won't, you know, be a major thing overtaking all the banking system in South Africa. We have highly sophisticated banks, but it'll make a contribution, and if it can make businesses more efficient, they're the ones that are going to create jobs in South Africa, and that's the thing that we really, really need now that our unemployment rate is at twenty-nine percent. Yeah, it's a scary number, but I, I suppose the barriers to entry for so many of the unbanked people, and the statistics from the World Bank are pretty scary. A third of people in Africa have banking infrastructure, and the rest simply don't. The barrier to entry is cost. If you take away the cost, you put it on a smartphone and you make it simple and easy. That's just a no-brainer for me for how you can right, get. Right than unbanked on board. So the future is smartphones, and it is only a matter of time until every adult in the world will have a smartphone. They are becoming cheaper and cheaper. The second part of that then, of course, is data, data access, which is why I'm so excited that we've moved from 4G to 5G in South Africa. But clearly, that also has to happen in the rest of Africa. But if you can have smartphones plus affordable data, the amount of solutions from banking to nearly everything else is incredibly exciting. You are delivering resources in a digital manner to a continent of a billion people that can leapfrog an industry of their industry. So I'm incredibly excited about the future. I just think that education needs to be a key part of that because certain people will be displaced and you have to embark on lifelong learning. But if you can do that and if our young continent can grasp education, I think there's a very bright two or three generations ahead. Listen, I have to say, and I don't want this to sound like hyperbole, but you do seem to be on a, a one-man mission with a bunch of friends to change the country. Cellular, broadband access, education, free banking. Um, uh, what do you know about electricity? <laughs> well, <laughs> I hear there's a little job at ESCOM open. Yeah, no, there's, you know. there's, there's no chance because I think ESCOM, in a sense, is in a death spiral Yeah. Um, because it is so... Uh, uh, focused on uh, generating via coal. 
Whereas what is happening in the world now is renewable energy, solar and wind is becoming cheaper and cheaper. Um, so I think it must be a really, really tough job there. Even though it's a monopoly, you have a whole lot of small installations. There too, I support a, a startup called Bright Black. Yeah. So the future is Bright Black, Bright Black Energy. Yes. Um, so people are, are self-generating power. And they don't even have to go completely off the grid. By the way, that's kind of a big misconception. People think you go completely off the grid. No. No. You just generate power during daytime. So it actually works better for businesses than homes. Um, and you have a backup connection to the grid. So the market will sort this specific one out for themselves, but it's crucial that somebody gets to ESCOM and starts looking particularly at costs and then at the sources of how they generate power because coal is not the long-term solution. Well, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting uh, idea that instead of coal generating stations, we could put solar panels. The transmission system exists where we've got coal stations now, put up vast solar arrays, and, and the transmission exists to, to carry that to the network. That's exactly right. So in the integrated uh, resource program for ESCOM, they do envisage a whole lot more reliance on, on solar and on wind power, in fact, although there's still quite a lot of uh, coal that has already been committed. And then there's a unpopular version um, of nuclear power that you could see that Bill Gates is supporting. Mm. Um, and what is interesting about Bill Gates' solution is it actually uses nuclear waste that yes. already exists yes. in very small nuclear power stations and that could be a model for the future. I was very much against nuclear when I thought it was a fail complete with Russian suppliers. Yes. But I do think we should be open-minded to look at small-scale nuclear solutions like the ones that Bill Gates is advocating. Yeah, it's an interesting model. I mean, if you're going to buy buy nuclear, don't buy from the people who brought the world Chernobyl, right? I mean, there we go. There, <laughs> it's, there like, we go. it's like, how's, ever, how's Boeing ever going to come back from, from the 737 MAX? Uh, so, so this alternative model that Gates is, is proposing is, is quite fascinating. Uh, it solves two problems, power and nuclear waste. The use of nuclear waste, which we don't know what to do with. Um, and it's not um, as expensive because it's a much smaller type of uh, nuclear power station that can do a small area. Now, I know nuclear is highly controversial. I just think we've become used to coal. And the impact of coal on the world is actually much worse than many of the other alternatives out there today. Indeed, and I, I want to come to one of the other uh, lesser announcements of, of, of your uh, investments recently, which is a tie-up between rain and, and take a lot. I think that's a great idea because, you know, I, I see more and more e-commerce activity, especially around, you know, the, the, the annual uh, Black Friday sales and the Christmas sales. A lot more people are in South Africa are becoming as comfortable with e-commerce as sophisticated markets that have access to Amazon. I mean, Take-A-Lot is a, is a world-class service. They're they are, and the leading e-tailer in South Africa. To, to answer your question, if I can just go back a little bit about you know, what we're trying to do at RAIN. We know that data costs are too high in South Africa. We want to make it cheaper. And we particularly wanted to position RAIN as an unlimited network, so that you can yeah. use as much data as you want in an unlimited way. Now, to do that, we just couldn't replicate the national footprint of the existing operators, but we also couldn't distribute the way they did, which is yes. the conventional retail and paying a whole lot of commissions. So we focused on metropolitan areas yeah. at the start, and we also sold online, because yeah. that is the most efficient way then of selling. Um, of course, to make that happen, you need to solve for things like RECA, and Ray now actually also does online RECA, and in partnering with South Africa's largest e-retailer, Take A Lot, we think we can significantly open up the audience of people that can now buy rain SIM cards and enjoy 
unlimited data at least for 19 hours a day at a very affordable rate of 250 rand. No, I mean, you don't have to sell me. I have several in my name already, you know, and, and they are, it's a fantastic offering uh, for, for that exact purpose. Yeah, you see, the thing about um, data is if you treat it as a scarce resource, um, you sell it per megabyte, yeah. you have a certain type of behavior. But when you think of data as being something abundant and unlimited, Amazing things can happen. As I said earlier, you know, kids doing um, the well, textbooks. Um, exactly. I'm, I'm often asked why, where's South Africa's Silicon Valley? It's in Stellenbosch uh, or, or, you know, around multi-choice in Randburg if it's the film industry. But what, the, the, the follow-on question is where's the next Instagram? Where's the next YouTube? And my response for years has been the youth of South Africa are more focused on not running out of data and airtime than they are about what can I do with it. So, you know, the, 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 the focus of the user is on scarcity, yes. maintaining yes. as opposed to abundance. You know, exactly you, right. why, did, why did so many of the web services we're familiar with emerge in the States? Because of the, the glut, the abundance of yes. free internet access, uncapped internet at home. You go to any shopping mall or restaurant or, or uh, hotel and they just give it away because they have an unlimited uh, uncapped internet offering, they give it to their customers for free with some, yeah. you know, checks and balances, and, and no you know, porn, no privacy. I, I but completely buy into this notion of abundance. Um, and it really is that growth mindset that if you treat something not as just a scarce resource, it doesn't mean it can't be commercial. I mean, Rain ultimately wants to be a sustainable long-term business. But, you know, one of the insights there is that once you put up your towers, there's certain parts of the day where those towers just aren't being used. Yes. Um, now, those are times where you can actually you know, provide unlimited data for your customers. Now there's industry of the industry in South Africa that actually also work like that, that has spare capacity, but you know, somehow isn't it making that available for consumers out there in an affordable way. Um, so it's funny when you start thinking abundance, I'll give you another example. You go through the seaside towns in South Africa and very often you'll see one in 10 houses occupied. So people yeah. have these houses on the seaside yeah. and they just stand there. But now Airbnb can turn that underutilized asset to something that tourists from all over the world could use. Yes. Um, so there's some income in for the homeowner, there's tourist income for South Africa, yes. there's job creation that can happen. And that is the cool thing about technology, it leverages underutilized assets and it leverages things where the capacity aren't fully utilized. We in South Africa probably don't need to build um, any more hotels for tourists coming in because there are so many houses standing. Yes, it, and, but it, it, I totally agree with you. When we travel, my wife and I, we, we, we travel using Airbnb. I mean, it's a no-brainer. And it's, of course, the ease of use of the app. You know, I tried to book a hotel in, in Cape Town a few years ago, and after, I don't know, 45 minutes of frustration trying to check into a major chain, just out of pure frustration at the process, I went to Airbnb five minutes later, I had something at a, a third of the price and less hassle. I mean, I think that's, I think that's part of... Uh, the reason your businesses can be so successful because yeah. there's a self-service element. Yes. People are a lot more savvy than they used to be. They know how to compare prices. I mean, you told me years ago when I said to you when you were still at FNB and I said, who's your biggest competitor? And you said, Google. Yeah. Now, Google and Facebook, the big tech giants, are all eyeing financial services. I mean, Facebook now through Libra, Google is consolidating um, all their payments. And they, they clear they want to get into banking. Yeah, they recently announced they're going to start offering uh, banking next year. And you know, they are brands that are widely known. Um, in the case of Google, more so than Facebook, the brands embody trust. 
and they've got a basic tech mindset. And the whole thing about tech again is costs can be reduced significantly. Um, and actually once developed, the marginal cost of using Google or all some yeah. form of payment is actually very close to, to zero. And that is in fact also the thinking behind Bank Zero. Once you've built it, the marginal cost is so low that you can actually afford to make it free, yet still build a good business. Well, I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a fascinating uh, consequence of, of, of what's been called the long tail or the, the cloud business or the freemium business. I mean, there will be, there will be so many businesses that you, you, you could never have thought of before that have suddenly emerged. I mean, take a look at something like Salesforce. You know, non-existent a, a decade ago, now an indisputable part of the of the enterprise landscape. And you know, Toby, if anything, the rate of change is increasing. So uh, definitely in five years' time, there'll be businesses that have only started today that will be quite dominant and possibly be dominant in industries that we don't even fully appreciate today, whether it's virtual reality or bio-health. So, again, I think the world is just so exciting and this thing about the future is, is already developed. Some of the opportunities to entrepreneurs out there is to look at what's happening, all these offshore markets, what's being invented, and to bring it to South Africa. You know, the entrepreneurs that develop something in, let's say, Silicon Valley or in Beijing, they just don't have the focus on Africa and on South Africa. They've got much bigger markets yeah. to serve at home. So go and look at those things and see which of those technologies we can bring to bear here yeah. that would solve some of the local problems and challenges that we have. Every problem has a solution, and if you can find that solution and you can make it a commercial opportunity, you've got a business. I, I agree, and I, and I think to some extent people in Africa are seeing the problems firsthand and coming up with those solutions that can then be exported to, to the rest of the world. And there's a bunch of, of examples of that, uh, Shahidi, Brick, uh, you know, M-Pesa. According to the GSMA, half of all mobile money services in the world are in Africa. I mean, that's just a demonstration of how how people have adopted this new form. I mean, it's like a, a check system for the mobile age as opposed to the, the old checking system. I, I think um, of, of all of them, I think your mobile money is arguably the best example, you know, because they just leapfrog everything else. And if you think of the ease with which people in most countries in Africa now transfer from one to another, yeah, it's and a, you go to the States and you see how checks are still prevalent, I know. and the fraud that comes with it, and no. you know, the fact that it's a physical settlement system, you have to marvel at the fact that you know, I mean, it, it, we it in to, Africa. It happened to a good friend of mine who moved to the States 15 years ago, married an American. Uh, she'd been there for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, and eventually someone said, can we pay you with this thing called EFT? Do you trust it? Yes. Uh, and the same person got ripped off with check fraud because of the, you know, the, the, the time it takes to check for it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer that, that we would move that fast. But in some ex to, to some extent, it's because of the lack of legacy, isn't it? Exactly we are right. able to leapfrog that because we don't have that old system. That's why, you know, Bank Zero is able to jump to where it is because so many people don't have another bank account and are desperate for one. And, and what it speaks to in a sense is also first principles, you know, if you are not captured, uh, not just by the fact that you have something available, but the legacy type of thinking, and you say, how would a bank look if you started designing it with a blank sheet of paper? And you yeah. did first principles. Chances are you wouldn't have checks, you wouldn't have savings books, you wouldn't have branches, you wouldn't have huge call centers, you would design it so optimally that it isn't even necessary to phone somebody to do something. Now, Jeff Bezos says that 
Whenever they have to interact with a customer, they see that as a design fault. You know? So if you can think first principles and you design everything that is so easy and so intuitive that customers don't even need to contact you, your costs can be very low and yeah. in that way you can think abundantly about it. You know that he, he reads all his emails, he doesn't respond. So yes. I've, I read a story that said he reads his mails and he forwards them. So I, rep- I sent him a mail saying, yes. I bought this book but I'm in the US store and I can't get in South Africa. And some very, very senior person uh, responded and sorted out my problem. So, I mean, that's a that's another interesting business principle. We, you know, if you run the business, you need to listen to what your customers are saying. So, on Stuff Magazine, I still read every letter to the editor, letters to the editor. Yes. Even though I'm not the editor anymore, I read everything everybody says on Facebook and YouTube and, and, and all of our different Twitter channels because that's feedback from your customer. I, I have to admit that I do that too. Now, whether that in the long run is a sustainable model, you know, that the CEO of a business reads every single email, every single yeah. tweet on Facebook, yeah. I'm not sure about. But I can tell you that it ha- provides tremendous insights. Yeah. Because what it has in effect done is removed all those layers that CEOs typically have around them. They sit in ivory towers, everyone tells them things are going well. But if you know what your customers are saying, I don't know, for example, about your call center service yeah. or, I don't know, branch not opening in time or payments taking too long, you really have your finger on the pulse of your business. Mm-hmm. So, you quite I mean, every single person, but you can actually pick up the trends and I, it was, hierarchies. It was always one of the things that I, I, I really admired about you as the, the CEO of F&B because you did respond to it. It was very helpful that your payoff line was, how can we help you? Because yeah, that's, there, we th- there you were saying, how can we help you while reinforcing your brand message? But mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's a, a trick that so many people just miss. And there is your market research. Your exactly. peop- the people complaining on Twitter, the people yes. telling you what your problems in your business are, listen to them. People don't listen to customers enough. I mean, a lot of people now come to me and they want kind of advice about their startup ideas and so on. And, you know, kind of try and help where I can. But most of them would be better off asking their customers what they thought than asking me. I know. Because those customers really know what their needs are and they know what's working, they know if the price is too high or too low. So, and, and it doesn't just have to be problems. Um, sometimes customers can come up with the most brilliant suggestions for you as a, a business. So really much of the innovation at F&B, um, some of the things that um, you know, F&B eventually became famous for in its Steve advertisements, yeah. any of those things were actually what customers were saying uh, about yeah. the bank at that yeah. time. So as a basic business for an entrepreneur, so I'm so silly that people don't do it, is listen properly to your customers. Yeah. If you're a startup and you can make your first 10 or first 100 customers really, really happy, it's going to be much easier to scale to 100,000 or a million. And but focus on hearing them out. Yeah, and they'll sell your message for you. I met the guy, I spoke at a conference, and the voice of Steve was there. Yeah. You know, he's got a whole business now. Steve. <laughs> uh, Michael, you're done. Thank you. A wide-ranging interview, a lot longer than we expected, and, and a lot of very interesting things. So uh, all we can say is keep up the good work. Thank you, Toby. And always uh, fun being interviewed by my favorite sit-down comedian. Wow, thank you. <laughs>